All right, Justin. I feel like the game gods are going to have mercy on you again tonight. Sing me a song. That's a cover song. That's better than the original. <clears throat> cover song that's better than the original. Man, I could think of, I know of one. Uh, man, the first one that came to mind is an R. Kelly song, and I can't sing it because it's him. I get it. I don't want to give him any props. I get it. Uh, Got to think of another one. Uh, man, that was a, such a good one. Um, I think uh, P. Diddy's uh, um, that kind of, I don't know. This may, uh, this may or may not count, but I'm going with it. That, that, that one that, that version that he did, that every step I take, all right, all every right, every move I make, every I single day, every time I pray, I'll be missing you every single day, every move I take. <laughs> Whatever the, the lyrics are there, but man, that song's tight. That well, was a great remix. Yeah, and while that's not technically a cover because it's a sample, I give you credit for that, though, because it takes a police song that is very creepy and yes. about stalking <laughs> Yeah, and turned it to one of the most iconic memorial songs ever. Yeah, it was a great memorial song. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, I, you 100% get credit for that, mainly because of the power of that song. Yeah, it was tight. Nope, you get a point, Justin. You do. Yeah. You get a point. All right, Heather, same to you. All right, my first instinct was strumming my pain with his fingers, singing my life with his song, something like that, or killing me softly with his song, killing me softly with his song. That one. Oh, with Lauren Hill. Oh, yeah, man. man. You really can't with go wrong. Oh, man. oh, that was, oh, that's, that's a great pick. I'm mad I didn't pick that. I love that song. It man, is. That no, that's, is that's so good. 100%. You, you totally get a point. In fact, Heather, you're going to get two points because you did sing the Fugees and that you get a one point bonus for that. Yay. Because it is the Fugees. Now, Justin, mm-hmm. surprise, surprise. You actually get a one point bonus for choosing not to sing R. Kelly. <laughs> that always yeah. deserves an extra point. You yeah. do. You do. <laughs> you went, I could sing the song of a sex pest, but I won't. <laughs> hey, there's one thing that the gaming gods do love, and that's not singing sex pest songs. <laughs> you do yeah, get an extra I... point for that. Because I would have, I would have ran into the same problem because. Some of my favorite cover songs are by Marilyn Manson. Mm. Oh, I love yeah, his version but... of Tainted Love. I love his yeah. version of Sweet Dreams. Sweet Dreams, that's the one, yeah. Um, but he's a sex pest. Mm, true. Couldn't sing his songs. You could do the pink cover of Sweet Dreams. Yeah, but I said good covers. <laughs> oh, boy. Or covers better than the originals. And Sweet Dreams is an amazing song as it is. Marilyn Manson True. just does a great version of it. But sex best. Right. So I get it. I get it. I would have ran into the same dilemma. I would have probably ended up oh, choosing man. a cover by Dope or something. Their cover of Fuck the Police is delightful. You could have done Alien Ant Farm too, I think. Ooh, oh. 
I don't know, though. Are you saying the Alien Ant Farm Smooth Criminal is better than Michael Jackson's? And I know we have the allegations against Michael Jackson. But all I will say about that is that is slightly more up in the air. And just slightly. Yeah. No, I actually... And I don't... You know what? Maybe you're right. Maybe I wouldn't say the Alien Ant Farm version is better. But I think it's just as good. But But also part of it is... Because, yeah, the song is good, but also I really like the music video. <laughs> so, I, I like it just as much. I, I kind of like it better because it has a little bit more of that alt-rock stuff yeah. to it. But, yeah. See, as I was ta- as you were talking about that, the Gaming Gods gave me a message. Yes. And that would be that if you had said Smooth Criminal, you would have to get the point for that, even though it might not be a better version of the song. Just because there mm-hmm. is a high probability Michael Jackson's a sex pest, so choosing the non-sex pest version of the song should get a point. <laughs> yes. Mm. I mean, but even to do any version of like a to do a to do a Michael Jackson song and it to be even just on the same level, in a sense, even before all of his allegations, like that's a hard feat. You know what I mean? So I think even if it's just like same level, that's kind of like saying it's better than for everybody else. You know what I mean? I get what you're saying. Yeah. And it's, uh, I know a lot of people might have issues with it, but I do think that Fallout Boy does a very, very good cover of Beat It. I don't mainly, know that I've heard it. Mainly because they have John Mayer do the guitar solo. Um, Oh, who was it that did the guitar solo in the uh, Eddie Van Halen? Eddie Van Halen did the guitar solo in the original Beat It, and John Mayer does the guitar solo in the Fall Out Boy cover. And say what you will about John Mayer, the man is an amazing guitar player, amazing For guitar sure. player, like severely underrated as a guitar player. Um, and he does an amazing guitar solo in that song. Fun um, fact, I shared an elevator with John Mayer once. I he, didn't say anything to him, but... <laughs> did you try to fuck him? I'm not saying, like, just, like, uh, grab him. I'm just saying, like, hey, did you go, hey, you want to fuck? Uh, no, I did not. Well, that seems like a waste of an elevator trip. I would have but asked also, him if you wanted to fuck. <laughs> but also, the thing about it is, I didn't want to be that person that was, like, wrong. Like, what if it was, like, just someone who looked like him and it Fair wasn't enough. him? Fair enough. If you're not sure... <laughs> Yeah, and then I was like, but I was also just kind of like, surely that's not him. He wasn't surrounded by a bunch of, like, security or anything. He was just hanging out with a group of other guys. So I was just kind of like, is that him? Where where was it at? And then it was in downtown Chicago. See, but Chicago is kind of the place sometimes the celebrities go without security. Yeah, I mean, he didn't have, like, a show or anything, because I checked. I was like, am I crazy? It, was it John Mayer? And then I saw, like, some other people like on Instagram had had been like, Oh, look who I ran into in Chicago. So I was like, yeah, that was definitely him. So good times. I should have said something. See, I would have, you would have gotten, you would have gotten a hundred points. If you had said that it was either the Beatles or the George Harrison or whatever Memorial show or uh, like rock and roll hall of fame show or whatever, when they did like all those artists, did a cover or well did a they just did a version of when my guitar gently weeps by the Beatles. Hmm. And 
Prince does a guitar solo in that and destroys fucking everybody. Ooh. Like, oh, I think I Prince, Prince is like the last true mythological rock star we had because he was the kind of guy that still had rumors that were all pre-internet, so we don't know if they're true. You know, he's got that <laughs> legend status. You know, like, oh, I heard this story about him. You know what I mean? Like, Prince still has that. And so the story behind that performance goes that he had That's never actually heard When My Guitar Gently Weeps before, like two days before he performed on it. He'd never even heard the song. And he does single-handedly one of the best guitar solos you will ever hear in your life. Like, and he's on stage with That's some, awesome. like, rock legends. And he just destroys them all. Like, the man... I believe that. Like, Prince is probably one of the most underrated musicians ever. And that's saying a lot, because it's Prince. He's considered, like, top-tier level. <laughs> but he's still underrated as a musician, because mm. he played all the instruments. On almost every one of his songs, it was him yeah. playing every fucking thing. Like, Morris Day in the Time? That was actually him playing everything for Morris Day in the Time. When doves Cry? Yeah, well, yeah, he wrote that song. But, like... Well, that he played all the yeah. instruments on it. Yeah, yeah, he plays all the instruments on pretty much all of his songs. The guy was an, like, just legendary musician. Like, another legend about him goes that when he would be doing a guitar solo live, his band knew that if he messed up during a solo, that you looped that section again because what he would do is intentionally make the mistake again to make the first one sound intentional. Because he was that good, he could remember and mimic his mistakes. Hmm. Wow. Fucking phenomenal. Yeah. And Sterling, I know that you're not a fan of the show New Girl, but just watch the Prince episode, ah, that's all. I will not watch that episode. If I'm going to watch a Prince episode of anything, I'm going to watch the Prince episode of Blackish. That's amazing. And that's a great one. I'm just saying Prince is actually in it. I know. So it's cool. But at that time, too, Prince was typically always high on fentanyl. Oh, okay. Well, so I'll that just I say, did not know. That's why he was on that show. That's why he died. Mm. He died of a fentanyl overdose. Oh, okay. He had severe, like, hip displacement from his years of gyrating. And probably because the guy fucked nonstop. Let's just be real. His hips got more work than all of humanity's combined. He just had severe hip problems. And uh, he, had, he couldn't have surgery on him because he was a Jehovah's Witness. So he couldn't get a blood transfusion, so he couldn't have surgery. Oh, I didn't know he was a Jehovah's Witness. Yes. Nobody would ever know that because the guy fucked nonstop. You don't ever think of fucking in Jehovah's Witnesses in the same sentence. Other than the sentence maybe that Jehovah's Witnesses don't fuck. Then I get it. But no. Also, I just looked this up. I didn't know he was so short. <laughs> oh, yeah. Tiny, tiny man. Five feet three. Yeah. Tiny, wow. tiny man. And I think that that's why he was so successful because he took the musical talent of somebody that was like nine foot tall and condensed it into a five foot three man. So it was just <laughs> condensed musical talent. It was just highly concentrated. Also, we do need to continue this episode at some point, but I yeah. actually want to get something off of my chest real quick. I'm pretty sure on the mm -hmm. podcast before I had talked about my love of Steven Seagal. If I haven't, mm -hmm. that's something I used to do a lot of. Just ask Justin. 
but I'm pretty sure I did at one point very early on. Yeah. I just want to say, I have found out a lot about him since then. And he's probably one of the worst human beings to ever exist. And I'm so sorry I ever defended that man. What? Recently, you found some new stuff? Yeah. And apparently, if I had been like reading actually more about him, I never just paid attention to anything. I just watched his shitty movies. Um, no, like sex trafficking and uh, potentially no. having like a uh, sexual prisoner at I one point. I did not know that. Um, several what? instances of pretty much every woman he's ever been married to. There's a lot of evidence and accusations that he's pretty much beat every one of them. I did know about that. I did not know about that at the time. And yeah, yeah no, I'm just oh. very sorry. Wait, sex trafficking? Like really? Like it yes. was proven? Uh, well, this woman sued him for it because she said oh, that geez. she he had like put an ad out for an assistant, and she came and applied for it, and she he gave her the job, and then her it, being the assistant more or less means like oh no you're going to be chained up and used for my sexual gratification in my house whenever I want. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, we will no longer defend him on. Yeah, day. my bad. I did not know. And I know ignorance does not get rid of it, but that is the only reason why I defended him is because he was a shitty actor and I thought his shitty movies were just cheesy fun. But that is no excuse. I'm sorry. We'll not defend that man anymore. This fuck to Steven be fair, Seagal now. I, I think the only thing I remember you saying is just that he was a, a great martial artist. I don't think you were like, I love this man. I think you were just saying he was a very skilled martial artist. I used to use him as why I didn't like somebody else. Like way back in the day, he was a, like a legendary martial artist, but then I found out some other things about him later when it comes to some of that stuff. Nothing against his like early stuff, but now all he does is a bunch of fake bullshit. Um, but yeah, I just, I know I've, like I said, I've defended him in the past and I just don't remember if I ever defended him on the podcast. And like within like the last week, I've like heard a lot of shit about him. Like, uh, not like it was just rumors or stuff. Like somebody actually went in depth and was like, more or less like the bullshit Steven Seagal's done throughout his life. And it was like, it's a, it's a, like a, it's a podcast called Behind the Bastards, where this guy who was a reporter, like a war reporter, just goes and researches bastards throughout time. And he did like a two part episode on Steven Seagal and all the bullshit he's done. And I was just like, oh my God. Wow, wow man. Yes. Yeah. Man. I just wanted to say that, just in case. Like I said, I don't remember if I did, but I feel like I did. I wanted to make sure I said that. Clear the conscience. Yeah. On that note, let's move on to something way better than Steven Seagal. Cinema Slayers. 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 Hey, Cinefans, and welcome back to another episode of the Cinema Slayers podcast. I'm Sterling, and as always, I'm joined by Heather and Justin. And tonight, we are doing the, I guess, reboot already? Like five years later, reboot of the 2016, I believe 2016. I don't fucking remember when the first one came out. Either way, this is the new, and you'll find out if we feel like it's improved. 
version of Tim Gunn, or Tim, Jesus Christ, I am fucking up. James Gunn, not <laughs> Tim Gunn. He's on, he's the designer guy. James Gunn, uh, his version of Suicide Squad. We will talk about what we liked, didn't like, and everything in between. We will go spoiler-free recommendations and scores, and then into a more spoiler-centric section with time codes in the description to help you jump around if you so need to or want to. And with all that, Gaston, what are your spoiler-free thoughts about Suicide Squad 2021? Yeah, so, um, <clears throat> I mean, the, the, the biggest word that comes to mind for me is just improvement. Like, this is a major improvement over that first Suicide Squad movie that we got. I thought that this was a lot funnier. I thought that it was a lot more clever with just how uh, it went about the story and everything like that. And uh, James Gunn, I mean, <laughs> like him or not, I mean, this guy just has a talent for doing these like superhero or heroic group movies. He just has a way of doing it. He understands like what the characters need to be. He understands the contrast between characters so that as the story unfolds, you can kind of see how these characters kind of go together or how they complete each other, different things like that. He just seems to be in command. And what I think is the coolest thing about this movie is that like, in so many reviews and videos and things that I've seen, like uh, sometimes in a movie like this, a group like ensemble cast movie like this, uh, people always have who they think the standout character was. Well, this character stood out or that character stood out. And one thing I can say about this movie that I think speaks volumes for it is that in every review that I read or in just about every video review that I saw, everyone had a different opinion of what character they thought stood out in this. Some people thought that it was the polka dot man. Some people thought that it was rat catcher number two. Some people thought that it was Cena's performance as peacemaker. Uh, some people thought it was the King shark character. And I think that that kind of speaks to how well these characters were done in the story that, you know, to a different person, somebody may have stuck out to them or somebody may have connected with them. So that really speaks to, I think, the storytelling of this. But overall, man, th this was violent. This was um, definitely a lot more gory. It, it definitely um, earns its R rating, but it's also just very like, and some of the humor, I would say, is kind of like morbid humor. It's, it, it can be kind of morbid or dark humor in its own sort of way. But that's uh, kind of James Gunn's territory. That's kind of how he works. And, you know, if you've seen any of his other movies, you know that he kind of has that sort of comedic touch about him. And he definitely uh, got to really just sort of spread his wings in this movie. Um, and I think that also the movie does take a lot of risks. Not all of the risks pay off. Um, there is a certain section of the movie that I thought was a little disjointed compared to the rest of it, but not to spoil anything or anything like that. But I think, um, uh, for the most part, everybody shows up here. I liked Idris Elba, um, as Bloodsport in this. 
of course, Margot Robbie is just an excellent Harley Quinn. That's just almost like a soulmate character for her. And of course, she's going to deliver as Harley Quinn. And they give her plenty of scenes to do that. Um, but, but some of these other people, man, uh, really stood out. And it, and that's the last thing I'll say, just to mention a few of them. Like, um, I, oh, of course, Viola Davis. And, and she's, a, and again, she's great as Amanda Waller in this. Like, she is great. Like, I didn't appreciate her as much in the first film because, you know, I was just so mad at everything else that was happening. But man, she really plays the cutthroat by any means necessary Amanda Waller character uh, really well. Um, but uh, Daniela Melchior, I hope I'm saying her name right, as Ratcatcher number two, I really liked her. I thought that she was the heart and soul of this. I thought that she really like um whenever she's describing what happened to her and stuff like that, and then her interactions with some of the other characters, I really thought that she really stood out to me. So if I had to pick a standout character, I'm probably going with her. Um, but Cena, we talked about how like Cena was underutilized in fast um in the fast and furious saga well here he's utilized perfectly he was another person who i thought was great i laughed at so many things that he said or just the way that he did things so uh yeah john cena was another person who i really enjoyed in this so yeah overall man i really thought that this was enjoyable it's a vast improvement over the original i think the r rating and then james gunn's direction really like stood out here and it makes for a very fun and entertaining movie though probably could have been a little shorter but ultimately i was entertained man i laughed constantly and if wonder woman 84 was kind of a bumble and a stumble for dc movies i think this was definitely like them catching their balance before they fell all the way down the stairs and this was a step in the right direction for me heather what about you yeah, I mean, I would go as far as to say this is a vast improvement over the first one. <laughs> I was not really a fan of the first one at all. Um, it had specific moments and specific people in it that were good. But overall, I mean, it was just a very, you know, obviously not great movie. So this is a huge improvement, in my opinion. I thought this was great. Um, it was really a lot more gruesome than I expected. Maybe I should have expected that, but I didn't really. Um, so that caught me a little bit off guard. That was a little jarring at how gruesome it was, but it was still like, they're just the way they shot this movie. They have so many like really cool cinema cinematography things that they do in this, in this movie that I really think are awesome. Um, and I think that, yeah, everybody's performance is really dead on. Um, Margot Robbie is perfection as Harley Quinn. She always has been. And this is not any exception. She's so great in this. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think Idris Elba, this is probably one of my favorite um, roles that I've seen him in. I think he was amazing. And then John Cena. Yeah, everybody that you mentioned, Jason, really did bring it and was just so great and really added... Uh, a great dynamic into this movie 
And it just, it just worked. It's a super weird, crazy movie in so many ways. Like a lot of elements of even things that we had talked about, at least me specifically in a few episodes before this, this current episode we're doing that I talked about, you know, I'm not a huge fan of these certain things. Um, it worked in this movie. They did some of those things in this movie and it totally worked. And you know, I was just kind of like, you know what? I stand corrected on what I said. And I know we'll get into that more, but man, it was just really well done. I think that there's a good, maybe half hour in there that I think, um, kind of was different, a different pace than the rest of the movie. Not that it was bad or anything, but just it kind of like had a little bit of a lull as far as like what's happening in the story. It still moves along, but I just think there's a good 30 minutes of it that, you know, not necessarily needed to be as long as it was in, in certain parts of what they were doing. But overall, I mean, this was just a captivating movie. I mean, right out the gate, there's just crazy action and crazy things happening. Um, and there was a weird thing in my theater with this one where they didn't play any previews beforehand for whatever reason, like the, um, like none of the previews played in the theater. So it pretty much went straight into the movie and I didn't realize it was the movie yet. (laughs) Like I really thought they were just about to start previews and it was starting the movie. So it just kind of really went right into it with everything they did. So, um, but yeah, it just, it was really well done. I do agree. Also, Jason Viola Davis is great as Amanda Waller. She just, there's something about just her, the conviction of how she says things really just make her so believable as this. Yeah. Like you said, by any means necessary, this is the job at hand and I'm going to make sure it gets done no matter what. She's so good at doing characters like that. And she just brings this solid conviction to how she's playing it. And I love it. I love Viola Davis. So um, I think there's so many elements here that worked. There were obviously a few things that, you know, it wasn't a perfect film, but man, it was so great. And then just thinking about how drastically different and better it is than the first Suicide Squad we got, you, it makes you feel like it is a perfect film almost just because of how much better it is than that film. But yes, I would definitely say great improvement. Fantastic. Um, I also think that their music choices in this were phenomenal. Excellent music to go with what's going on in the movie and the scenes of the moment. They were so good with that. It was so much fun. They switched it up. They did different genres, but it totally worked with everything that was going on. So that really added to the, the fun, entertaining element of the action happening on screen. So yeah, great film. Um, yeah, that's my non-spoilers for you. Are we in a backwards world? Have we entered? Oh boy. What, what is it? The, uh, the outer limits. Are we in the upside, the upside down, down from stranger things? <laughs> Are we on planet bizarro? How am I the oh, person no. with this movie that doesn't think it's too long? Not the direction I thought that was going in, so I'll take it, but <laughs> of all yeah. of us though, how am I the one of us that goes, you know what? I like the length of it. 
I liked the pacing of it. I thought it was great. Um, I think that this movie has kind of made itself my favorite DCEU movie. Uh, before this, hey. I'd probably have to say Birds of Prey. I really loved Birds of Prey. I really fucking loved that movie. I think overall, yeah, it brought more than Wonder Woman did. Wonder Woman would have been the one it would have beat out. And it's mainly because of the third act issues in Wonder, uh, Wonder Woman. I hate mm. the end of Wonder Woman. I think it has very bad third act issues. Otherwise than that, it was, it's, it probably w- would have been the best if it had just kind of kept the momentum it had built throughout the movie itself. But, uh, no, this one, ooh, I, I think that this is almost up there with probably, oh, you could almost might say, it might be up in my upper echelon of comic book movies in general. Uh, mm. To me, this beats out a lot of Marvel movies. Um, when it comes to like severely recent comic book stuff, I think the only thing truly better than it right now to me might still just be Spider-Verse. Because I think Spider-Verse is almost comic book perfection. And this movie, to me, is comic book near perfection. I I thought it was I loved the pacing of this movie. I thought it was very quick and peppy when it needed to be. I think it slowed down in the right parts. I didn't even feel like there was really any wasted scenes in this movie to me. I I felt a connection to almost every scene we got. I I could have done without the chronological skipping around factor it did. But I don't think it did it in a way that ruined any of the scenes. I just would have gone without it because I think sometimes that's a little too gimmicky. But with this, James Gunn was smart enough to not make it dumb. And I'll take that. Right now, if I've got a director in a DC movie and they've got a choice of doing something the dumb way or not the dumb way, I'll take a director just not doing it the dumb way at this point. And that, and I'll say that about the entire Zack Snyder cut. Because it's four out fucking hours long. That is the dumb way. That's the dumb way. It's four hours long. Anyway. But I, I thought this movie was great. I thought the main bad guy, if you will, I thought worked very well for what they were building with this. Because like the first Suicide Squad movie... One of the biggest problems is they go up against an, a god. And the only character they have that has godlike capabilities is Diablo. Spoiler alert, spoiler alert, he dies. So I don't buy a bunch of miscreants and misfits beating a god. This team, I actually feel like, almost might have stood a chance against her. But anyway, this one, they <laughs> gave a more realistic like bad guy. I won't go into spoilers, really, but they gave a more realistic ultimate bad guy that a team of misfits and whatnots could take down. I loved the opening scene of this movie. It really caught me off guard with that's where it was. I knew that scene was going to happen in this movie. I did not realize it was going to be the first scene of the movie. So I do give it some credit for that. Uh, I think that the attention to detail in this movie was just utterly phenomenal. Right down to even like King Shark's design. The fact that his face didn't always really emote because like sharks have black dead soulless eyes. And so did he. 
Sharks just kind of have that in general mouth structure. And so did he. The fact that they didn't even give him a chin, it was just shark. I thought was really great because you got emotion from that character in different ways, in non-traditional ways. Uh, Joel Kinnaman, I think that he finally got the Rick flag he should have been in the first movie because holy fuck, that was refreshing as shit. I mean, Harley Quinn was, uh, you know, Margot yeah. Robbie is Harley Quinn was Harley Quinn. I, I, at this point, I expect nothing less from her than just doing an utterly spectacular job. Uh, then you had, uh, it, yeah, like you guys talked about with uh, John Cena. I thought John Cena was a fucking rock star in this movie. Uh, Idris Elba, you know, just did some Idris Elba shit. Just awesome. <laughs> uh, and then even down to like Ratcatcher 2 and Polka Dot Man and like the what should have been smaller characters that they were able to nuance and finesse into vital, interesting, deep parts of the team. At this point, I think if you've if you're doing a movie that has a team of misfits, by default, you should contact James Gunn to do your movie. Because no one does a misfit team movie better than James Gunn at this point. He's got it nope. down to a science. Yep. And he's so good at it that he doesn't even really make it feel like he's just using a formula. That's true. Like Guardians of the Galaxy 2 is probably the most formula like movie he's done with the like the team concept. And even then, it still felt fresher and better than most misfit team movies out there. This guy knows what he's doing with this concept. He knows how to pick the right characters to give you those interesting dynamics in the team concept. And once again, what I appreciate the most, and this might be a spoiler, but I don't really think it is because of how I'm going to frame it. He did like he did in Guardians of the Galaxy. Where in how many team movies do you see the team members getting some bullshit, dumb, stupid little fucking pointless fight that serves no real purpose just so the team can break up to get back together? Right. And James Gunn knows this and goes, I'm not going to fucking do it. Because he didn't do that in Guardians of the Galaxy. Now, did the team get separated? Yes. Can the team get separated? Yes. But it's because of other circumstances and not just because they get in a disagreement and they go separate ways just to come back together. He didn't do that in this movie. And he didn't do that in Guardians. Because he realizes that trope has been fucking played out since the fucking little rascals were on TV doing that shit in almost every episode. He's fucking great at this. This movie is insanely violent in the most fun of ways. Like, you get to see some violence that I never thought I'd see in a fucking movie, and it's fantastic. This movie is incredibly funny. Like, so much so that if the Fast and Furious franchise wants to exist or have a shot of doing something memorable for their 10th and 11th movies with The Rock not being there, you better let John Cena do what fucking John Cena can do then. Because he proved it in this fucking movie. You're gonna need yeah, this charm. Is the, this is the John Cena we deserved in Fast 9. Yeah, because if you... Th- oh, I can't say what I was about to say because of spoilers. But... 
I will I will comment that in the spoiler section. But if you just let this John Cena go, you let him loose, he will give you the charm you need. Now, will it be as iconic as Dwayne The Rock Johnson's charm? No, it never can be. It's Dwayne The Rock Johnson. But will it be a different kind of charm that will at least fill the charm vacuum that your movies have? Yes. You will get charisma. You will get charm. It'll just be different. You know, let's just say Dwayne The Rock Johnson is classic Coca-Cola. Try as you might, you won't get that flavor. But John Cena, he's Cherry Coke. It's not quite the same. It's got a little it's got a different flavor profile, but it's not meant to be the same. But it still does the same purpose. It's just a different flavor. Let John Cena be that flavor. Cuz holy fuck he was great. Also, I know Idris Elba was the bad guy in Hobbs and Shaw. Fuck it, resurrect him. Yuri resurrects Shaw. And turn him into a good guy and have him and John Cena go back and forth. Because fuck, that's delightful as shit, too. Yeah. Like, that's the shit we need. I, uh, yeah, I really love this movie. I want to say spoilers, so I just want to move on. Do you guys want to do recommendations and scores? Yeah. Yeah. Recommendations and score. Uh, Heather, go. Yeah, I definitely recommend this. Um, you don't have to have seen the other one. You're probably better off if you don't to see this one. Um, it's fun. It's entertaining. It is funny. Like Sterling said, it's got really great action. It's super well shot. Like It's got some really awesome standout scenes in it that make it just really visually awesome. Um, the acting, the characters, they're so great. They really come to life with the people who are playing them. Um, the story is good. And while there is a lull, I wouldn't say that the pacing necessarily is bad. It's just one of those where it could seem to be a little bit shorter, I think. But it just had lulls in story, not necessarily in the movie overall. Just storylines, I think, had lulls. So, but yeah, I think it's a great movie. I think it's a really fun action film if... If you're looking for action, this is definitely the way to go. Um, yeah, everything about it is just so fun and refreshing and exciting. So I definitely recommend it. I'm gonna give it I'm gonna give it 90 random but amazing cameos by Taika Waititi out of a hundred. Justin, what about you? Yeah, um, I definitely give it a recommendation. I think that this, like I said, was a step in the right direction for DC movies. If if we're going to start to get more movies that can be of this quality, then bring them on, you know. But um, but 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 I do fear that you know sometimes you get somebody who just is talented at what they do, and like we've all kind of said. James Gunn is really talented with this formula. So it might just be that. So maybe the lesson is, is that you get the right kind of director. You let them do what they want to do with the characters and try to, you know, and not interfere so much with the vision and what they want to do and everything like that. And maybe this is the formula for getting 
a, a good film. You know, maybe if you just let people do what they do, sometimes uh, you get the best and then you don't give them the restraints. You know, if he says, I want this to be an R rated movie and I'm and I want to be able to do this kind of humor and I want to have this kind of violence. Rather than pushing back, sometimes you just got to let the artist create art. And I think that this is an example of that. You know, this guy proved his talent with the Guardian, with the Guardians of the Galaxy movies. And then he came over here to D.C. and showed that that wasn't just something he was doing over there. Or it wasn't just that he had Marvel characters or anything like that. He can take some completely different characters on the other side of the ship, you know, he can go to DC and still create some magic with these characters. So I think it's worth a watch, especially if you're somebody that likes these characters. If, if you're somebody who reads these characters and see, I'm coming from a unique place because I never read Suicide Squad. I always kind of knew what they, who they were, but I didn't watch any cartoons or anything like that that featured them. No animated features, anything like that. If there was anything, videos or anything that talked about this team or anything. So I sort of went in blind with, with, with the first Suicide Squad movie and this one. So I'm just kind of watching it as a movie and taking it for what it is. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. This made me want to kind of see what some of these other characters are about. And I think that that just speaks volumes for this. And I think that if you are a fan of these characters or a fan of this Suicide Squad story, I think you'll appreciate the effort that was given to the characters and the story with this one. So, yeah, definitely uh, one of the best uh, DCEU movies. Um, Maybe in some respects you can argue it is the best one. Um, of course, it's just hard for me to put anything over Wonder Woman because of, because it has iconic scenes, kind of like scenes that you'll never forget about. And the, the jury's still out on this, you know, a few years removed will we still be talking about this? You know, it's yet to be seen what kind of status, uh, this winds up having, uh, and really right now, given the box office woes it kind of had, I hope that more people actually go watch this. I hope that, you know, that the word of mouth and just the reception that it gets after people watch it, I hope that that winds up kind of pushing this over the top and maybe we will get more, uh, another James Gunn directed suicide squad. You know, I hope that, um, that, that, that this continues to build momentum despite a slow start. So the jury still remains what it is to uh, what it means to everything. But this is definitely the best movie that they've done in a while and how it compares to Marvel movies. I mean, man, dude, I I don't, I I don't want to sit here and take up an hour thinking of the list of Marvel movies. This could or could not be better than but I would say like maybe out of the group films, like if you were to rank this, like if you put this against the first Guardians, I would say it is not better than the first Guardians of the Galaxy. But I would say it is better than the second one. So I think that's a fair place to put this. Um, with that being said, uh, yeah, it's very, very good. Go watch it. Uh, my score is going to be we're going to go with, uh, yeah, I, I think it's good enough to deserve an A. 
So we'll go with right at uh, 90 um, King Shark Tears because he has no friends, sadly, out of 100. Oh, so sad. I was going to talk about this later, but I think now is appropriate since you already brought it up, Justin. I think people are kind of blowing up the box office for this movie. I think they're kind of over-exaggerating what it means. Mainly because things are kind of changing again with the pandemic. This was kind of the first movie weekend where a lot of states and a lot of places are going, calm the fuck down and stay back home. Like, they're not doing stay-at-home mandates anymore, but you know what I mean? They're doing more mask shit again. They're doing all that. I think that has more to do with it than the movie itself. Other than the fact that Maybe some people aren't going to see it just because they went and saw the first one and it was fucking awful. And they just don't know if they can trust this one, even if other people are saying it's good. You know what I mean? It's that whole, you want shame on me, fool me twice, or fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. I'm wondering if people are feeling that with this movie. They don't want to even just risk going to a theater to watch it because you know how fucking ripped off we were with the first one you know because for whatever reason a lot of people liked the first one when it came out you know people were saying you should watch it and then I watched it and I wanted to slap every single person I said it was good like I wanted to slap them in their stupid faces because it wasn't, you know, because like comic book movies, like critically, I know critically Marvel has a lot of success with their movies, but as a whole, going through the lifetime of comic book films, comic book movies can be hit or miss with critics, but not necessarily have the same reaction from comic book fans. So you know, you, you would hear people talking about how they liked it, and then you would, like I said, you watched it, and you're like, no, it's just bad. It's just bad. And I just feel like maybe this is feeling the ramifications of it. When it is leaps and bounds and just everything an improvement over the first one, just in every single fucking way, this movie is an improvement. Even the characters that share, like, it shares. When you look at your Harley Quinns and your Rick Flags and your Amanda Wallers, I think they're, or even Captain Boomerang, we'll get into that, but I think they're all better in this movie. And I just, I do think the box office is more of a COVID thing because I'm really interested to see what its streaming numbers were on HBO Max. That's what I wish we, we would have gotten something about. And maybe we will soon or something, but that's what I'm more interested in. Because I think with COVID kind of making things more uncertain again, it being on HBO Max might have just gotten a ton more viewers on that. Uh, Due to work schedules and stuff like that, I had to watch it on HBO Max. And I wish I had gotten to watch it in a theater. But just due to circumstances, I had to watch it at home. So, yeah, I think that has a lot to do with that aspect of it. That's just my two cents on that, because you brought it up. Yeah, and and that's one thing that's weird about this movie is that it's in a weird circumstance 
because yeah, I was I was gonna mention those things if you hadn't, but yeah, that's the weird thing about this movie. It's in the oddest of circumstances because the box office was low, and I do think part part of that is because of you know COVID, the new COVID variant, and all that stuff that's happening, and or and people are going out less to movies. And then it's also weird because I do feel like the first movie, it, that is probably the reason why some people were hesitant uh, to see it because that first movie was so bad. But ironically, in a way, I think it's in some ways, though, when you do watch this, that probably also helps this because then it kind of shows how much better it is. <laughs> because when you think about that, because if you saw that first movie and watched this one, I don't know how you don't walk out thinking that this is way better. And I don't know in a way that kind of helps it. So it's almost like a blessing and a curse. So I, so I, but I will admit it is in quite a unique circumstance, which is why it's so hard to compare like where it's going to be, what its legacy will wind up being different things like that. You know, it, it is in a uh, very odd circumstance, you know, given what's going on. Oh, yeah. Because, it, like you said, it is way better. It's one of those movies you need to see it so that you can go, oh, yeah, it's just every, it's better in every conceivable way. You, But you have to get over that hump of the lies and deceits that were fed to us with the first Suicide Squad. But if you give it that chance, you'll be rewarded for it. Mm-hmm. I mean, like I said, I think I loved the length of this movie. I thought I loved the pacing of the movie. I loved the acting. I loved the characters. I loved the plot. I just, I loved the visuals of it. I just thought in so many ways, like to me, this screamed, this is what the essence of a comic book movie is. It is just a fun fucking time at the movies and i feel like it's been a long time since we've really just had a truly fun fucking time mm. like jungle cruise was an all right time wasn't a bad time you know it was a very family friendly just time at the movies this was fucking fun mm-hmm. just fun i mean i haven't had this much fun with the movie and you weren't on that Heather uh, that episode, Heather, since we watched Nobody. God, that was a fucking fun movie, too. And this is just pure fucking fun. With none of the bullshit to drag down your fun. It's got a good story. It's got good acting. It's got good characters. It's got good jokes. It's got good action. So you don't have to use the word fun to cover up a sin with this movie. It's fun because it succeeds at all these things. That's very true. I give this movie 98 smaller bullets out of 100. Nice. Spoilers? Yeah. Yep. Spoilers. All right, so that opening scene of the movie were what? 60, 70% of the cast dies? I was not expecting that at the beginning of the movie. I figured we were going to get that scene in this movie. I figured it was going to be one scene that was going to be like a bloodbath of most of the characters. I just didn't think it was going to be the first fucking scene of the movie. And 
I had fun with it. Right down to the weasel quote unquote dying within the first 30 seconds of the mission just because no one bothered to find out if he could swim or not. I loved that. And I loved it because I was watching that scene unfold and all these people were dying and I'm like, what the fuck is going on? And then you just like find out right at the end of that scene that it was all meant to be a distraction for the main team to get in. You're like, damn, Amanda Waller's cold. Mm-hmm. I mean, we knew she was cold, but I'm just like, damn. I love the way that it set up the tone for her, too. Because, like, her biggest asset's got to be Rick Flagg. He's the only Suicide or Task Force SX member that's not a criminal. He's the only one that's just in it to do things for the greater good. Mm-hmm. And she was going to sacrifice his ass for that shit. Like, damn. But I, lo- I loved the intricacies of this movie. I loved that while Starro is an intergalactic space alien that has mind control abilities and all this other shit, he's still just like a big monster. He's not a god. And I loved the fact that this team could theoretically just take down a big monster and it didn't feel like a stretch. Now, I had a feeling throughout this entire, like, once they got to the Starro battle, I was like, oh, Harley Quinn's just going to stab him in the eye with that javelin. I figured that's what was going to happen. But I'll be damned if I did not expect her to go into his eyeball from it. That was fantastic. Yeah. I was just not expecting yeah, that, that cool. at all. You know, I very thought- visually, uh, very visually pleasant, but morbid and <laughs> gory in its own Gross. sort of way as well. <laughs> yeah. You know, like I like how you said it's very visually pleasant. When if you think about it, she's an eyeball goo. That shouldn't yeah. be Around visually pleasant. <laughs> she's an eyeball surrounded goo. by rats eating this thing from the inside. Yeah, <laughs> it, it goes from just being an eyeball goo. To eyeball goo mixed with blood from rats chewing its optic nerves. But like you said, visually stunning. It was. Loved it. I mean, there was just all these small little details in this movie that I loved. I loved when Harley Quinn was just going on that massacre from escaping that, that, that building. That they also give you a visual representation of what she sees when she does that shit. Yeah. You got to see like things I love from that. her perspective. That like she's just that deranged that she's murdering all these people. That flowers and birds are everywhere from it. You know, that's how she sees the world. And I love yeah. that aspect of it. I thought it was just a fun little detail that they didn't have to put. They could have not done it and it still would have been a great action sequence. But I like the fact that they did do it. Because it's just a little yeah, detail sure. that just adds a little bit more to this movie. I loved the way they did the flashbacks with Rat Catcher 2 when she's telling the story about her father and him being addicted to heroin, but she just calls it his burdens. And so none of the other, the rest of the team really see what she means, but I like how we get to see that visual representation just reflected up on the window while she's telling that story. You know, I loved how just insanely inventive they were with killing people in this movie. It was just so crafty. Like, 
You just got to see people die in all these interesting ways. And I know that's a terrible thing to say. And it's all probably a worse thing to enjoy. But when it's this type of movie, it is what it is. You know, and we just got to see a bunch of fun fucking deaths. I mean, that scene where it's just them going through that camp, killing people. And then like, oh yeah, Bloodsport and Peacemaker get in that weird like one-upsmanship of murder and mayhem. It's just so fun. Like, I like how they did a lot of that scene without even talking. It was They were literally telling the story of their rivalry through... Killings. <laughs> yes, through killing at that point. Don't get me wrong. They also had amazing chemistry when they were verbally discussing their competition, if you will. You know, that scene where they're, like, murdering people... And he's like, oh, non-lethal, that doesn't count. And then the guy, he's like, oh, no, that's a compression explosion round. The guy explodes, and he's like, nobody likes to show off. And he goes, except whenever what they do is really fucking cool. And then Bloodsport just turns around and goes, fuck. That's true. (laughs) Yeah, that was tight. That was one of the funniest fucking scenes I've ever witnessed in a movie. Just the delivery from both of those men was just spot on performance when it comes to comedic timing you know it, it it had that throughout the movie even fucking king shark had scenes like that and he's just a big dumb shark man and you know whenever he just walks up and he's got his finger in front of his face like yep mustache Idris Elba doesn't even look <laughs> yeah. at him and he's like that's the worst fu- fake mustache I've ever seen if you snuck up on us we'd have to shoot her like we'd have to shoot you because a shark man just snuck up on us <laughs> it's just great right down to Bloodsport's fear of rats which was mm-hmm. utterly delightful in this movie but also rooted in something that makes sense like the, the same things that make him the you know one of the greatest killers in that DC universe at that point in time is the same reason why he's fucking terrified of rats you know and then you just got Ratcatcher there, just so sleepy and so hopeful. And just so relatable. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, fuck, I'm tired all the time too. I get it. But like when John and like, and the reason why I think John Cena would be great in this and why I really think they truly underutilized him even more now in Fast 9 isn't for his comedy or anything like that. That villain turn. He does at the end of this movie. Yep. Why didn't they have Unexpected. him do that in Fast 9? Yep. Yeah. That was infinitely yeah. more menacing than anything they had him do in Fast 9. For sure. Which is weirdly one of my biggest complaints about this movie. <laughs> that they showed us the John Cena we should have had all along as a villain. <laughs> yeah. Just, he didn't do it in the other films. Yeah. But it also showed how good his talent is yeah because in yeah, wrestling even seeing like his conflict of like he he thinks what he's doing is right but he's also doing so much wrong and you could see like kind of a little bit how he's conflicted for a little bit that was cool yeah because in wrestling and Justin can attest to this unless i'm wrong but as far as i know we never got to see a heel turn from cena like an, a legit heel turn yeah, like not not when ever he became the the hustle, loyalty, respect, um, 
you know, all American, you can do it, John Cena. No. Yeah, now, he I was here before that like, when he was the like, rapper and all the that stuff. But yeah, John but Cena. once he, but yeah, thugonomics, yeah. But once he turned, no, uh, we never saw that. So, yeah. And that's what makes this even better. You know, you get to see him have that duality. A lot of wrestlers can probably pull that off because a lot of wrestlers do heel turns and face turns and all this other shit. They should be able to turn off being good and bad. Cena's never really had to do that. And so seeing him do that in this is great. But like just seeing him in general be as funny as he was. Oh, it it was just so fucking fun to watch. I know that he's done funny things and stuff like that before, but never something like this. It was just that, that fucking great mix of action and comedy for him. You know, uh, apparently one of the jokes is like Joel Kinnaman was talking about how he added 40 pounds of muscle in this movie for Rick Flagg than he did in the last one he was in. You know, because he wanted to show up on set and be like, fuck yeah, I'm big and bad now, just like everyone else. And then apparently, like, one of the first scenes they did is when John Cena's in his tidy whities And he was like, mm-hmm. yeah, then John Cena walks up on set with one of the biggest dicks you've ever seen. And he's like, damn it. <laughs> I just thought that was a funny story from Joel Kinnaman. Um, but, like, I even loved, I loved that scene, though. I liked it whenever it was, one of them said to his tidy whities And he just goes, that's racist. I just thought I it was. busted out laughing on that part. I didn't expect him to say that at all. And it's because he's so, I don't want to say mission-oriented, but in a way, he's so about being the guy that does the mission that he doesn't actually understand what it means when somebody says tidy whities He just doesn't understand it. And I, I thought that was fantastic. I liked his dedication to the mission in so many ways. Like, that is what causes his heel turn, too, with it. But, like... I loved that line when he's talking about like when somebody was like, oh, you would eat a bag of dicks for liberty, wouldn't you? And he was like, if I had to eat, if this beach was covered in dicks and I had to eat every single one of them for liberty or, or for America, whatever, I would do it. Yeah, that was pretty funny. Like, I just loved how dedicated he was to it. And I did love the banter. I loved that they even called out their bullshit from comic books that like, so many villains will have the same fucking backstory because they're all the same characters, but they're just slightly twisted a little bit. Like you look at Bloodsport, Peacemaker, Deathstroke, uh, Deadshot. They are all almost the same damn fucking character. I know they're not the same character, but they are the same character. They're like some ex-soldier that now just kills a bunch of people and shit. They are all that. They're all the best shooters in the world. They're all the best this and that every time. And I loved the fact that these two were putting the situation together and they made it a competition with each other. Like even verbally, I loved that whole exchange they had when they were at Bell Reeve. When he's like, I would kill them better than you. And he's like, well, how would you do that? He's like, well, I would shoot a smaller bullet that go through your bullet hole without touching the sides. And you're just like, oh. Like, that's just, I don't want to say how petty, but like, in so many ways, that's what these characters are reduced to in their roles, because in comics, that's what these characters are. You know, Bloodsport is just the guy that kills people. Now, 
Bloodsport does have a different backstory in the comics that is way more fucked up than it is in this movie. Bloodsport's story was that, you know, like, it was kind of true, the whole, like, he was being raised to be a soldier, but, like, it was him and his brother, but he didn't want to go to Vietnam. So his brother went to Vietnam for him when he was drafted, and he didn't mean for him to, but he just went and did it. And then his brother came back with missing his arms and legs. And so he's so riddled with grief that he actually now essentially is a warrior to just take up for the fact that his brother was that for him when he could have done it. And because he's so filled with guilt that he just buries that with homicide. I wish we had gotten that story with him in this, but it's not any less than it was. I just think it's a really fucked up backstory and what it added to his character. Uh, hmm. Yeah. Um, I loved I loved what they did with the Polka Dot Man. One of the stupidest villains ever. Right, but and it worked. They made him so useful in this. I liked that whole thing of he can't kill people, but when he needs to kill people, he just pictures them as his mother. <laughs> I loved those scenes. That was funny. Just all those scenes where it's just his mom. And when he's like, Starro's your mom. And he just looks up and it's a big Starro mom. Or when he's just drunk and dancing at the club, everybody's his mom. <laughs> I just loved who the way... Who was it that said that to him? Was it Bloodsport? That was like, do you know who that is? That's, that's your, mom. your mom. Yeah, that was... That was Bloodsport, That was Bloodsport, right? Bloodsport that was yeah. Funny. And then that's like right after that's whenever he... Or right before that's whenever he turned to... King Shark, and he was like, hey, big star guys, nom noms. And he goes, nom nom? Yeah. Which that slightly reminded me of Teenage Mutant Ninja Nur- Turtles 2. Secrets of the Ooze. Hmm. They're all nom nom? Nom nom. Oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. I love that scene. I don't know why. I love that scene in that movie, though. But, back to Suicide Squad. Um, I just thought everybody was fantastic in this movie. I really did. And I loved I I loved how we did have that large, gigantic cast of characters that were just cannon fodder at the beginning. I loved Black Pete uh Pete Davidson's Black Guardian just getting his face shot off within like five fucking seconds and uh Mon mm-hmm. Gal just taking down that helicopter, but then also getting crushed by it and burned alive. I loved TDK that was one of the funniest things too was TDK when he detached his arms and made them move forward and then just started slapping people. <laughs> that was really funny. Like Nathan Fillion. The funniest thing about that scene though is if you look at it, 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 it becomes the major flaw of his, his power because his arms could only move as fast across the battlefield as if he was walking with them. So they're very slow flying across the battlefield. And then when they're over there, he can't really hit them that hard because without the body, you can't step into a punch. So all he could Mm -hmm. do is kind of lightly slap everybody because he couldn't actually get any (laughs) momentum behind any of it. I I love those little, like little aspects of attention to detail with it. Uh, Now there is, they are saying that TDK was created for this movie. He's not completely created for this movie. There was a character called like Arm Detachable Boy or something like that where he would take off his arms and beat people with them. 
they couldn't float across the battlefield like that, but he could detach his arms like he does in the movie. And he, but he could just like reach over and grab his own arm and pull it off and beat people with it. Um, he's, you know, obviously at like a 1960s or 70s, like DC character because he was fucking dumb. <laughs> um, I liked Jai Courtney for a little bit just being in this movie because he came, they went, Hey, you want to come back? And he's like, No, not really. It fucking sucked. And he's like, Oh, no, we just want you to come back to kill you. And he went, I could do that. I could come back to die. I thought that was great. I thought I, I loved how you had these bigger actors that I mean, I know like all of them weren't big, but uh, just these these people that were just there to die. I loved it. I loved the end sequence or the, the mid credit scene where the weasel just wakes up and runs away because mm-hmm. of course he does. He's a fucking weasel. I don't know. They're just to me that this movie was just so fun with its action. It's violence. It's humor. It's charm it's weird sense of i don't want to say hope but like i I guess in a way community like the way they did the team banded together i thought was infinitely more authentic than the bullshit we got in the first one it felt more organic that this team worked together than before you know like it felt like they had a sense of family with each other mm-hmm. and it worked like rat catcher and King shark was one of my favorite things in this movie. Like they're, I don't want to say chemistry, but like their dynamic with each other. The fact that like King shark was going to eat her and he's like, no, he wouldn't eat a friend. And then they were like looking at her and she's like, you asshole, you were going to eat me. But then she like realized <laughs> what, what it was with him. He really was just hungry. And then she was like, you wouldn't need a friend, would you? He's like, I don't have any friends. He's like, we'll be your friends. And so from that <laughs> point on, they had no worries with King Shark eating them because he wouldn't need a friend. Right. And I loved that. <laughs> good old, good old uh, shark. What's his name? King Shark. King Shark. Nawe. Yeah. Yeah, that was a good dynamic. And um, Rat Catcher with Bloodsport was good, too. Yeah. Um... That's all I'll talk about for now. Uh, Heather, go. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with you on a lot of those things. Um, specifically, yeah, John Cena in this, he really just kind of stepped up his game. Like, he's shown that he can do action. He's shown that he can do funny. And I think this was the best version of him doing those both together in a movie. And it just worked really well. He was just the the conflict of what he was doing and really being like, you know, almost the same as Amanda Waller in the, by any means necessary. But yeah. And then I, I just think that he was just so, he just did this part so well. Like he just really impressed me in this movie. Um, and then I, I really enjoyed um, the, I was actually going to mention too that the, just how they do some of these scenes, like with, rat catcher talking about her father and then you just kind of see that visual in the window as she's talking about it that was really cool um i also really liked the um the part when um rick flag and peacemaker are fighting each other and you're seeing it through the helmet and then they're just kind of panning around the the helmet i don't know why but i just thought that was a really cool and interesting thing to do 
in that and just just different like creative shots and things that they do in this movie throughout is just really cool and like you said also with harley quinn when she's just dominating everybody and she's just killing everybody on her own with nobody's help which i thought was awesome and yeah if you're just seeing like these flowers coming out and then just kind of you know in her mind she sees that god's given her this ordained you know javelin (laughs) just all these things and it was so funny and so creative but i just think that was such a good scene and that really that was just a really badass moment for her and i love that they did that and that they gave her that in this movie but then just followed so quickly by that just really funny moment of her watching these guys really just plan this whole you know break into the place to get her out and it was just not necessary that was just so funny to me like that whole thing and they're just ready to go and like on the side of the wall and she's like what are you guys doing you know i just thought that was really well done um I do also agree. I love Rick Flagg in this. Um, I He actually was, yeah, he was definitely one of the better things about the first Suicide Squad. And um, he just, he's so good in this. Like, his character is so good. The way that his character is drawn out in this or fleshed out in this is really good. Um, I'm super bummed out that he died and didn't come back. That was the worst, but... Um, I, I just, I like, I like his sense of morality that he brings to this group of crazy, obviously misfits, you know, group of people. I, I, I like the, his dynamic with them. And, um, I did think it was super hilarious and also just terrible at the same time in the best way that they killed all of those freedom fighters. <laughs> that was so funny that they was just like, oh, like, you know, they, basically they were all good guys and they just all got taken out in one shot, like every single one of them. And there was zero left. And they're like, oh, our bad. Like, that was just the, just the really kind of like juxtaposed, just the way that they do the terrible, gruesome and awful murder parts mixed in with this like really dark comedy part of it just really works well in a movie like this. And I feel like in a way that's what makes it such a good, I guess, comic based movie. Um, I don't read a lot of comics, but I mean, I just imagine that that's kind of when, when they made this movie, that that's kind of what they envisioned that these movies should be like. Um, And I just think that these are really got a good job portraying that on screen with everybody. Um, And and I was mentioning earlier that there's parts in this that typically I don't like, which I'm referring to um, monsters, monster movies, things like that, where I'm just kind of like, eh, I don't really care either way about them. But for whatever reason, in this movie, it totally works with Starro and just everything they did with that. It just completely works for a movie like this and just how they told this whole story in general. It really, it worked so well. Um, and I just, I appreciated that they, they made me intrigued enough by this main villain sort of thing to, you know, I, I like that they intrigued me enough with it was something that I normally am not like a big fan of in movies. And they kind of give you, yeah, like a little bit of a zombie element into it as well with all the little starfish that go on their faces. Like it just, it, they do so many cool things here. And it's kind of, it's interesting because 
you could really, if not done the right way, that could be really bad because you could try and be doing too many things. And there's going to be a few movies, you know, soon that we're going to talk about where they kind of do the same thing where it's like, we want to put all these different elements in it and just do so much with it, but it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not executed well. Um, in this, they execute it well enough to where it just works so well, all the dynamics. Like I remember leaving that movie being like, this is such a super weird, super cool movie. It <laughs> just everything about it. And um, they did a lot of like really fun, like slow motion type things with like the groups of people. <laughs> and I don't know if they were trying to be funny with how often they did it, but every time I was on board with it, you know, it was just kind of a funny, cool thing that they did. Um, and yeah, I do think Polka Dot Man, I was so curious what that was going to be about. And I was like, what is this? How is this going to be helpful? And then by the end, I kind of knew like, okay, he's going to play a really big part in something here just because he's so downplayed for so much of the movie. And, um, you know, his abilities really just, they worked, they really helped out. And, um, so yeah, it was, it, it was just really, I mean, how do you make a character like that feel so on level with like a blood sport or a Harley Quinn? Like, I guess they're not necessarily on the same level, but just in that same playing field as them and it work and you're not just like, this is the most useless person. There is no most useless character because they all just work so well together. And I love that they kind of at the end there too, all decided, you know what? Screw what Amanda Waller wants. We're just going to do what we're going to do. You know, I thought that was a really cool moment of that family feel that you were talking about, Sterling. And that, that was kind of a really solid thing of, okay, we're all in this together. And I do agree. I think Ratcatcher 2 was such a great character in this and a very pleasant surprise because I, I had never heard of that character before. And I think she was, she was really central to a lot of the story of this one and super relatable, always tired, you know, just really just trying to be like, a good person to people and make friends and all nice and sweet and not really a criminal in the long run kind of vibe about her. And I just thought she was such a great addition to this because when I first heard about her, I'm like, okay, what is she going to do? <laughs> like what, what is her ability? How is she going to be helpful? And then for it to turn around and she's like the most helpful in actually destroying sorrow. Like it just was, I love how they take these strange, strange abilities and powers that people have and make them so important. And so like, no, these are going to be needed. Like we need this ability. And um, yeah, I mean, and there, I think the part that was kind of a lull for me was more so like um, the whole scene with Harley Quinn being courted by the was he a prince whatever he was um not really a prince but that guy that was super rich and important who was that guy i forget what he did but do you guys remember he was the relative of one of the i can't remember if they said he was a cousin or maybe a little brother but he was one of the uh relatives of one of those dictators 
dictator. That's okay. I was like trying to figure out. Yeah, that's what it was. But yeah, I just, I mean, and it was kind of like an entertaining moment. But for me, I'm just kind of like, okay, like it just, it was more a lull in the story that I was like, this is a, an interesting segue that I didn't really expect. And it's just so kind of opposite of a lot of other things going on in the movie. Um, and, and I mean, it wasn't bad. It was just more of like, huh, okay, what's going on here and why, <laughs> you know? But I guess it, I mean, obviously it paid a purpose. And then, you know, ultimately it's the ending result of that was getting her, you know, captured and tortured so that she had to get out and kill everybody, which was the, one of the best scenes of the whole movie. So, yeah, it just, it, there was just some lulls there with stuff like that where you're just like, yeah. It wasn't bad in the movie, but it was like, what are we doing here? <laughs> like, why is this? You know, it, it just was such a weird segue that I didn't know what to take for it. You know what I mean? But um, needless to say, obviously, as a whole, I just think the movie is so good. And the pacing is, for the most part, really good pacing, especially when you're packing in, like, being able to flesh out a lot of these characters, like, kind of backstories or personalities. Because there's so many times when I feel like you can miss that opportunity or you're not utilizing them or not not fully fleshing out these characters in the best way to understand who they are in the movie or why they're important for for their powers and abilities. So they did a good job giving everybody that sort of screen time and that backstory enough to where you're kind of like, I like all of you guys. All of you are awesome, and there's not a one of you that I'm like, nah, I can do without you, which can happen with these group movies, but everybody really was a great character and super important, and um, yeah, I just think, yeah, everything that they did in this, and like, and you're right, like the third act, I mean, it wasn't a letdown like a Wonder Woman movie was, like it just completely paid off. And everything leading up to that moment, you're like, oh, it's about to go down. And I loved it, like, how they were doing the, um, telling you sort of in the scenes, like, what was happening next with the letters and how they would do the different letters. Like, when they were going to see, you know, they're going to go save Harley Quinn, or they did, like, the Starro versus the Suicide Squad. Just kind of how they did those little introductions to what was about to happen was really kind of fun. And I, I really like how they did that. It was pretty creative. But yeah, when I saw that like Star versus Suicide Squad, I was like, this is about to go down. This is going to be amazing. So yeah. And, and I really liked the um, Bloodsport and Ratcatcher 2 relationship because you could obviously tell like he's thinking of his daughter and, you know, reminded of his daughter so much with it. And um, I just, I thought it was a really cool little relationship that they had. Which, Sterling, I'm kind of surprised you didn't mention the beginning of the movie when <laughs> Bloodsport and his daughter are just kind of, like, yelling at each other and cursing at each other. I thought that was a funny but kind of, like, <laughs> weird scene. But it was it was just kind of sad because of how bad their relationship is. But it was funny, like, how they were just, like, sparring back and forth and just on the same level with it. It was really funny. But I just... I really... I liked the whole relationship with Ratcatcher too, because it made him, you know, 
I, I, I just think it made him feel like, you know what? I need to be a better father. Like if I get out of this, I want to be a better father and things like that and do something with my life and make her proud kind of thing. And I think having her with him for this journey or this mission kind of just, you know, softened his heart a little bit to that kind of situation. So it was good. Um, I feel like there was another scene I was going to discuss that I liked, but um, I can't remember at the moment what it was, but yeah, no, it was just, yeah, it's funny. It's smart. It's witty. It's just a really great cinematic experience altogether. One quick thing. Um, the guy wasn't a cousin of them. He, he was the new dictator. He's the one that murdered the Royal family and had taken over. I think he was technically yeah. a general in the army and he killed everybody and took over. And then when he died, the That's other right. general took over. Mm-hmm. Um, That's right. The reason why I liked that scene is I felt like part of it was in response to all the Joker bullshit from the first movie where they really wanted to show how much Harley Quinn had changed from those type Mm. of times. I know this one might not even be considered a sequel to that, but I'm just saying just the way she's been portrayed, I think they wanted to show how much her character wasn't that version of the character anymore by having her identify with what type of guy he was. And, you know, mm, her yeah, thing is just true. kill him. I think that was just like a continuation of Birds of Prey, where she was the whole emancipation thing, you know, where she was learning to not be that person anymore and all this stuff. I yeah. just think it was more continuing that someone that used Harley again later, you don't, you just can see that already be a part of the character. You don't have to really show. I just think it was to solidify her identifying the toxic men that she's attracted to all the time and stuff like that. And that's why I actually thought that that scene was very nice is I thought it showed just the overall character development of Harley Quinn in this universe. And I appreciate that. No, I did get that that. actually. Yeah, that does make sense. Cause I, I did. And the ending of that scene is actually the best part when she's just like, you know, when you tell me that you're okay with murdering children, I think that's a red flag. <laughs> like, you know, I think that that really was the best part of the scene for sure. And yeah, that makes sense. I, I get why it is needed now. But yeah, it was just, I think the segue was so jarring from everything else going on that I was like, what is this? But yeah, you're right. It makes sense. All right, Justin, what about you? All right. So um, I think uh, um, early on in the movie, yeah, I... I also um enjoyed that that scene too of uh, the opening scene I thought was good kind of took a page out of Deadpool 2's book with the whole big group coming down they're going to do this big mission and then like half of them just wind up dying in really funny ways so it immediately reminded me of Deadpool 2 when they did that but it was very effective, like the way that they did things, the way that James Gunn shot everybody and just the little funny intricacies with every character. And yeah, the weasel, man, that character was cracking me up like moments into the movie, just the 
sporadic, uh, you know, uh, head jerks and noises that he was making. And people are going, well, what is he like when that, when I forget what character, but he was like, what is he? Is he like a dog or something? And then, you know, the, the weasel's like, ah, ah, whatever he does, <laughs> his little jerk or whatever. Like that, that weasel was cracking me up, man. Like I, I just couldn't help but laugh. And just all of that that was happening and like just the, the conversation was funny. They were like, what kind of dog do you think he is? Like, I thought that was a funny uh, little conversation just before the mission started, too. But, yeah, all of that was really cool. And I like how it, it served the purpose of, like you guys said, just kind of showing how ruthless Waller was and how they were kind of literally a suicide squad to be a distraction for our suicide squad the actual characters that we were going to be following so i thought that that was cool and uh very effective um and and like what i liked about the dynamics of the characters is just that you know um the the hardest thing i think about some of these movies and, and like especially like these group movies and marvel's good is very good at doing it which is why like i love the avengers movies and you know, a lot of their movies that they really kind of came up with a great blueprint for how to do this. But you got to have interesting dichotomies with the characters, you know, like and, and I think that that's what was missing so much from the first movie. But this movie had it in spades and that really drives kind of where these characters go. And since they have to interact with each other constantly those interactions felt fun and they felt interesting all the time and they and they were um always appealing to look at because you had these interesting character dynamics like the king shark for instance this is a character who has no friends and then um you know you have somebody like rat catcher number two who had made friends with these animals, you know, like the, she was controlling these other animals and kind of had these rat friends. So their connection, you could see kind of how that she was drawn to him and, and understood how to make that connection with them about, well, we're your friends, right? So you wouldn't eat us, right? That, that didn't just come because she was being smart and outsmarting a dumb shark. That's because of her connection with those rats, right? Like she has a connection with the animals. So it was, so that was the right character to have that conversation with King Shark and see that's the power of good writing because on a, on a, on a script that isn't as well written, dynamics like that are lost or like with Bloodsport and his fear of rats. And how that kind of played into their relationship too. So you just had all these interesting things. Or like what Sterling talked about with the the, the dichotomy with Bloodshot and Peacemaker. You know, they yes, they were similar characters, but their whys is what made them different. You know, Peacemaker just had to stick with the script. He had to be thorough. He had to uh, he had this urgency to complete the mission. And how that clashed with Bloodsport, who was a little bit different, who didn't have those same ideologies, who was a little rough around the edges and stuff like that. So you could see where they would clash 
but there would be sort of, but they're both badasses. So you could see where there would be this one upsmanship and this competition or how John Cena's character, Peacemaker, how um, he clashes with flags towards the end because of everything going on with that. You know, uh, when it came to, when it came to Rick Flag and what to do with this with this tape and this um, and this information that they have about the government's involvement in Project Starfish. So and what he wanted to do with that, and so what Rick Flag wanted to do with that, as far as the right thing, the moral thing, and then how that clashed with Cena's character with him wanted to complete the mission and keeping the peace regardless of the morally gray or just immoral things that you have to do to get there. So even those dichotomies were good. You could see where these characters would clash just because of what the, uh, because of how well the movie developed those characters as the story went along. So I just appreciated all of that. And I just think in a movie that is, um, and, and like this was all of the stuff that was missing in the first one. Like in the first one, we had scenes and we had characters and they were doing things, but never did you feel like they all meshed like this. You know, never did you feel. And even just like character consistencies, like Ratcatcher number two, always asleep and having to be woken up. You know what I mean? Like they kept going back to that. They didn't let you forget that. So by the third time you see her being woke up, you're like, yep, that's what her ass does. So like, but, but it kind of became this like unique character trait because we were showed it so many times and it was kind of like her thing. You know what I mean? Or like John Cena, not uh, uh, the peacemaker character, not understanding certain things and certain jokes and certain things people would say, or even like a nice gesture. He couldn't eat, uh, he could, how hard it was for him to accept the nice gesture of King Shark making that little uh, miniature of him and him trying to be nice. But at the same time, he just could not accept the fact he had to say that doesn't look a thing like me. You know what I mean? Because of the thorough nature of that character. So even though, yes, he understands that King Shark is trying to be nice. He's going to comment on the lack of detail that was in that little miniature of him that King Shark made. Like all these little things, man, just like were so well done in the movie. And that's all character stuff. I'm not even talking about the action scenes or anything like that. But that is incredible attention to detail and care for your characters. And that really is what separates this, you know, that now the action sequences are great. They're violent, they're bloody and stuff like that. But, you know, we, we've gotten plenty of R rated comic book films by now. So, you know, we've seen a lot of the gory stuff. We've seen a lot of the bloody stuff, you know, whether you're talking about Deadpool, Logan, stuff like that. So, you know, it's not like we haven't treaded these waters before, but those, but to me, the intricacies with the characters is really just what made those scenes better. Because then when you have the game of one-upsmanship between Bloodsport and Peacemaker and they're doing all this shooting and stuff like that, 
All of that is great because of the character work and the way that they built these characters. So all of those scenes just seem to work. And I'm glad that at the end of this movie, they didn't do a sky beam or like Sterling alluded to a God or something like that. You know, they went a different direction with this and just said, well, we'll just have a giant kaiju like monster and it was funny that somebody said we got a damn kaiju up in here i laughed at that too because that was about what it felt like but like heather talked about it was cool how he kind of had a zombie effect like he could shoot out all these other little starfish and then these corpses would reanimate but it was also cool how he could communicate through them and say stuff like this this planet is mine or whatever you know like i thought that that was kind of cool too that thing was even though it's like when you think about it on paper it sounds really dumb like a giant starfish that zombies people like that sounds terrible (laughs) like on paper but everything is about execution it doesn't matter how dumb the idea is it doesn't matter how great the idea is Everything is about execution when it comes to a movie. And this was executed well. They the fight just wasn't the way you thought it was gonna go. The the Captain America moment that Bloodsport had was a good moment for that character where he's telling everybody to do stuff and all of that kind of stuff. Him kind of coming into that leadership role finally after he kept denying it, saying that wasn't him, stuff like that. So that was a great character arc. The then there was a character. So not only did everybody have their individual character arcs, which is what a great ensemble movie needs, but the group had a had an arc. You know, they went from just like Heather talked about that moment of we're not going to do what Waller tells us. Screw our heads being blown up. We're going to do what we want to do and we're going to do it together. We're going to do the right thing here. We're going to do what we need to do and we're going to stop this um the the big starfish monster that was a great group arc given at this journey that we've been on and everything that they went through and stuff like that so that was a great moment and yeah then the stuff with harley at the end of that what an interesting and cool way to defeat the boss so to speak you know what i mean like instead of it being some just some giant explosion or just something that you're kind of used to seeing. They did it in a very interesting, visually pleasing, but morbid and kind of just downright kind of disgusting sort of way. But mixing all of, but you would think that like juxtaposing all of those different elements and and feelings might, uh, could be a mistake. But it wasn't. It just all works. You know, all James Gunn just mixed those things perfectly and they totally worked. And Heather, you had talked about the scene about um, Harley Quinn and, and and the courting with the new dictator and stuff like that. And yeah, mm-hmm. that was the scene that I was going to talk about. I think that that scene was a little drawn out for where we got. Like it, it came suddenly and really kind of 
first of all, it was kind of like I, for a moment I was sitting there going, what is this? Why are we doing this? Why would this guy want to marry Harley Quinn? Like even when he gave his explanation, I was like, why would anybody be telling him to marry Harley Quinn? Like, I mean, given her history <laughs> of what she's done and stuff, like I, at first it was really hard for me to make sense of it. And then it was kind of going long and stuff like that. And then like they, they have this whole big courtship and all of that stuff happened, but what saved, so I don't know, I feel like there was a better way to do that, but what saved it for me was the payoff, what y'all are talking about. And yes, I get the stuff about like it showed the kind of the growth of Harley Quinn and her not going to go back to the toxic male and stuff like that. But what I also think it showed too was that this character is still insane. Like the fact that you could shoot somebody and then be talking to them the way that she was talking to them. I really loved that scene when she shot him and then was talking about why the red flags. And, well, you know, when I see these red flags, I just have to kill the person because, you know, I'm just not going to do that again. And so even though, yes, I get that it was about the growth that this character had made in the past, I love the insanity of her talking to this person as if they are not bleeding out and dying in front of her. So, like, all of that and Margot Robbie's acting and all of that stuff, I think really was a solid payoff for what was starting as kind of a, which that scene, not going to lie, was a little rocky at the beginning, but I thought that they sort of stuck the landing at the end. And then we got the really cool scene of her, like, um, you know, killing all of those soldiers and stuff like that, which to me is one of the best scenes of the movie. So it was almost like simultaneously Harley had probably the weakest scene and the strongest scene, in my opinion, because that scene with when yeah. she was like destroying um, all of those guards was great and the roses and everything. And what was even cool after that was after the scene ended and she walked out of the building and then the rest of the squad members are like, uh, we were coming to save you. And she's like, oh, well, I could go back in there and you guys could do it again. But while all that and, I, and that was funny and while all that is happening in the background, you still see those flowers and roses and stuff like that. They never went away, even though that scene was over. They never went away. They were still in the background and everything like that. Whilst we were in a different scene talking to other characters. And I just thought that that was so cool. And, and like you guys said, the last thing I'll say, yeah, the scene transitions, just how, um, you know, he would do the lettering and the lettering would be like pieces of a building or it would be something scribbled in the beach or it would be something in the clouds. Like he never transitioned a scene in a boring way. He kept it colorful. He kept it creative. And I liked kind of the chaotic nature of going back and forth in the story. Now, I did see this with a couple of friends and one friend, he hated it. He was like, man, why is it going back and forth? It was so confusing and I didn't like how it would go back here and go back there. Why don't you just tell a, a, a linear story? And I guess so. I guess maybe I could see how something like that could be off putting, but I personally liked it. I liked the chaotic nature of the storytelling 
because this is a chaotic group. You know what I mean? Like they're not your typical heroes. So I kind of liked the like the the back and forth nature and kind of like I said, the chaotic kind of sporadic nature of the story matching the nature of these combustible elements all put together in a group to uh, try to perform this mission. So yeah, all in all, um, yeah, thoroughly enjoyed this film. And like I said, not too many negatives or anything like that, but I do think that that scene, maybe if we could have shortened that or gotten to there quicker, if the end result was going to be, we were going to kill the guy. I don't know why we needed so much development to get there. But other than that, that is really just a small, um, I think, flaw in what overall was just a well-paced, excellently told story with all these characters. Uh, a couple of things. Amen to there not being a beam of light in this fucking movie. Exactly, I'm right there with dude. you on that. That is probably the worst thing to ever happen to superhero movies is a fucking beam of light. And yes, I can't tell you how I am completely on board with that never happening ever again. Like, I'm just tired of that. Um, oh yeah, like back to what you were saying with the whole Harley Quinn, especially like at the end of that scene when the doors open and you still see all that stuff in that. I lo- like I was saying earlier, it's just one of those attention to detail moments that it's just it's such a small background detail. And it just shows how much James Gunn and the people that made this movie cared about what they were doing. Yeah, they cared. It feels about ambitious. It. Like it feels like they were really trying to give you the best quality movie they could. And when you feel that, you're just more. You're just going to support what you're seeing more. You know, when you see an effort given like that. Oh yeah. Um, a little brief history on Starro. Uh, Starro was either the first or one of the first villains the JLA ever fought as a team. Oh, okay. So it is comic book. Okay. Oh, Starro has been around for ages. He's very much a 1960s villain. Like just a fucking star guy that shoots little stars that mind controls people. Um, I loved how that showed elements like when they were talking through him, which is very much something they do in the comics. Like when they're taken over by Starro. Um, I love how that mimicked a lot of what James Gunn did in Slither with all the parasite guys. Oh uh, yeah. 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 Good point. Good point. Um, so I loved that little element of it all. Uh, but yeah, star star has been around for ages, just ages and ages. Um, oddly enough in the suicide squad video game that's coming out where you do have to fight like the justice league as the suicide squad. It's because they're controlled by Starro. Hmm. Yeah. He's, he, oh, okay. He's been around for a very long time. But like I said, it works as a villain because it's not a god. It's just a big fucking monster. Yeah. You know? Um, one of the things that you were talking about how, like, when you were talking about how, like, the dichotomy of the team and stuff like that, and how that makes things successful, it almost sounded like you were going to say that this movie is where that fell short. And then you were like, that's why this movie succeeds so well. And I just had this biggest sigh of relief on my side. Because I just really thought you were about <laughs> to say that's not where it went. And I was like, Justin, how the <laughs> fuck are you going to say that? This is the most dichotomous teams ever. Like, 
uh, and then you like you went the route you did, and I was like, oh, okay, good. Um, but going back to what you were talking about, like the organic nature of why King Shark and Ratcatcher works, also, I loved how also they had that little scene at the end of the movie where she has that flashback of she's talking to her dad, and he she's like, why, well, like why rats, Papa? And he's all like, because you know everybody thinks the rats are the lowest things out there. And if they have a purpose, then everything does. And that showed mm-hmm. subconsciously, like once you hear that, and that's her motivations with everything, you realize you saw that in her character the whole movie. That's yeah. true. Because she felt that's why she always was, that's why she was so like that, because she felt like everybody has a purpose. Yep. Yep. And that's why that's she felt point. for Starro when Star, before mm-hmm. Starro went on that rampage. Like she felt bad for Starro, you know, mm-hmm. and that's why. And it like it's just one of those little things that like, like it's, whenever that scene happens at the end of the movie, you realize that that mentality was there the whole movie. You just didn't know it, right? That's true. And it just speaks volumes to everything. And, and kudos to that actress too because she portrayed that mentality without us knowing that's what it was. She 100% portrayed and got that across to everybody without it, you know, without it being needed to be said. Yeah. But it's just a nice little bow at the end of the movie. They didn't have to have that scene, but it's a it nice so little intentional. Yeah. bow that just pulls everything even tighter in together, you know? And I just so appreciated that. Like, yeah, for sure. And, like, I liked the little things with that. Like, I liked... One of the things that makes no sense to me is how did Bloodsport upload that video to a secure server when they literally just got done killing Starro? And this is just a hard drive. It wasn't like it was on a flash or anything like that. It was on a hard drive. Where did he connect that to a computer to upload that to a secure server? Where? They had literally... We're 30 <laughs> seconds out from killing Starro. When did he have the time and when did he have the equipment to do that? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's but a small little gripe. But you don't care because it's Idris Elba, so. Yeah. I mean, yeah. But it's, it's a small little gripe. I just thought that was funny. Like, as much as this movie did have right. attentions to detail, I thought that was a weird detail they missed. And maybe just because that is a lot of in the realm of what I do for a living is why I noticed it. Maybe other (laughs) people didn't or didn't or don't or whatever. But like I noticed it because I deal with internet and cloud services and all that kind of shit on a daily basis in my normal life. That's my like shit. I also like, you know, rehab old MacBook like 2012 MacBook pros. I rebuild those as a hobby if I can get good enough old versions, I take them and I take them apart and I upgrade them and all this other stuff. So like that's kind of in my wheelhouse and that's why I noticed it. But I just thought it was a weird little thing. Um, But I really just kind of love that like with this movie, like there's just, and this is why I do think this will stand the test of time. And you were saying that it was more of a we'll see with some of the stuff, Justin. Is just because I do think so many scenes in this movie are weirdly, morbidly iconic for comic book movies. You know, 
like Harley Quinn swimming in an eyeball is weirdly (laughs) an iconic scene. Her fucking shotgunning people with flowers exploding out of like the back of her is a weirdly iconic scene. Yeah. King Shark just munching down on some fucking people. It's just delightful. I don't know if I'd call it iconic. It's just delightful, though. The opening scene, <laughs> even, honestly. Yeah. Which like also, setting the tone of the violence and yeah. the level that you're going to get. Uh, also, Pete Davidson's character, the Black Guardian. Um, weird uh, thing that they don't say in this movie, but uh, from the comics, his character's name is Richard Hertz, which makes him also Dick Hertz. nice Mm -hmm. yeah and i guess that was just one thing for me that wasn't super clear because they go into um like when they land and everything and then he's he's talking to the guys coming out and he's like basically they're just saying like oh he gave us up he sold us out but it doesn't really go into like why and what happened there with that situation so Um, that was just one thing they left out that i maybe would have liked a little bit more background on I, I, I understand that from your point of view and maybe other people's. Um, it's very much kind of in the character of the Black Guardian. So, Black Guardian is a Booster Gold villain, which if anybody knows anything about Booster Gold, Booster Gold's kind of a joke-ass superhero. Well, it depends on the iteration, but for the most part, joke-ass superhero. And Dick Hurts, the Black Guardian, is his villain, or is a villain of his. <laughs> and so, the problem with the Black Guardian is he kind of comes up with a lot of plans and all this other stuff, but very much always fucks up his own plans. Mm. It's not typically even Booster Gold outsmarts him or beats his plans or something like that. No, he just kind of sucks at making plans and fucks them up. So this kind of that that whole character trait kind of leans into who he is as a character because his plan was. I'm going to sell it to Suicide Squad and they're going to take this bomb out of me and I'm going to be free and fine. Not really taking yeah. into account that why? Why wouldn't they just kill him and kill everybody else? Mm-hmm. That's way easier for them. They're prepared. Just kill them all. Like he never, yeah. he doesn't really have the, he can come up with plans and also he's just not good at actually thinking them through. And succeeding at them. Mm. It's just kind of a okay. dumb little character trait of that character. And. Okay. You know. And it's not that I know him super fucking well. Mm-hmm. I know him just on the vaguest of terms. So I think that it, the worst case scenario in my head. I made that logical jump. As that was a character trait. Based on what I knew about him. Okay. Yeah, because I guess I thought that that might play more into like why they all got demolished right away and they were going to talk about it more, but I guess it didn't really matter in the long run. So, okay. It also could but be I that. Say, he could have just mm-hmm. been a shitty asshole that thought he was going to, you know, get free and got killed for it. Yeah. Also, but I do want to say, simple. I think that Pete Davidson is just really sneaky, more talented than I think. A lot of people, well, I think people realize it now, but he's just sneaky talented and I'm starting to realize it more and more over this past year, watching different stuff with him. He's good. He's actually really good. Yeah. He's, he's got more potential than I think we gave him credit for based on more or less the fact that he just, 
I say this in the nicest way possible, looks insanely strung out all the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? And it's just, he's got that weird, goofy sense of humor on SNL. Like, he's yeah. got that sense of humor, and it's no fault of his, of an 18-year-old stoner. Because yeah, he's just got that immature humor. Yeah, well, yeah but that's it what also, it is. It also comes from the fact of, he was on SNL at 18 as a stoner. So, like, what right. more did we expect from him, really? You know, we had to yeah. give him time to grow up. But when he did King of Staten Island, I was like, dude, yeah, he's great. Yeah, which is kind of more or less based on his life. Yeah, which may be why he's great, because <laughs> he was playing himself, you know? Yeah. But, I mean, it's, even in this, like, it was just, like, you were talking about the dichotomy and the, the dynamics of a team. The sad thing is, is the team that gets massacred at the beginning of this movie had more chemistry than the entire team did in the first movie. So true. <laughs> I do not disagree with that. And also, I mean, it really, you're right. I mean, just kind of the, the, I guess the, the chances that they took, you know, like they, they, they paid off though. I mean, and you get these like really good people to play these characters that are not going to last long. And it really, it just kind of, it, it really does set the entire tone for the rest of the movie. I mean, you kill Nathan Fillion off in like five minutes. That's a ballsy move, but it worked. Like Nathan Fillion is kind of America's sweetheart a little bit, you know? <laughs> like, and they just killed him right away and just didn't even care. So yeah, it definitely set the tone of, oh, this is about to get real crazy real fast. And that's something I will give Warner Brothers credit for with this movie is... This movie, like James Gunn got this movie because he was temporarily fired from Disney for some dumb jokes he made like 10 years ago or like even longer than that. And so Warner Brothers was like, well, fuck that. If they're not going to use you, we'll use you. And his terms were more or less like, give me the budget I want. Let me use the characters I want. And uh, let me kill whoever I want. Like no characters were off limits. They were like, you could kill whoever you want. Genius. And he made it work. Like, the one concession he made was originally the villain of this movie was going to be like a mind control Superman instead of Starro. Um, but I don't know why he changed that. It could have been that he didn't think, like, while he was writing it and stuff, that he was like, I can't make that realistically work for what I'm doing. So he changed it. He might have changed it himself. I just know that that at one point was the original plan. Was to they were going to fight a mind control mm. Superman, um, but like I said, it changed. I think I think that's smart. I think it changed in a better way. To where, like I said, yeah, it's a better villain for this team to fight. Although no, I would almost argue that this version of the Suicide Squad would have been the one that could maybe take down the Enchantress and her brother because of honestly how much better this was as a fucking team, you know. Like, they just felt like they could over... Like, this was the team that felt like they could overcome the insurmountable odds. Oh, yeah. Because of their dynamics with each other. That their chemistry and willingness to work as a team and actually feel like a team, it felt like they could have been the underdog to take down Superman. Because you Mm -hmm. know it wouldn't be to kill Superman. 
it'd be just to un- get him to the point where you can make him unmind controlled. Like this team felt like, well, it might have been like a stretch that they could have done that. They could have taken Superman to the point of just no longer being mind controlled. This team felt like they maybe could have taken on the Enchantress and her brother. Like it just, and it just speaks to if you authentically portray teamwork in a movie, how much more you're willing to accept what that team can do. Like when you've got a good team dynamic, you're more willing to accept what the team can do versus whenever it just feels like they throw a bunch of people together. And I think that speaks volumes to how well they made this movie. Yep. I agree. So anybody got any more thoughts about suicide squad 2021? Not for me. Oh, and one last thing Um, at the end, at the very, very end, when we get the post credit scene and, uh, and Cena was still alive. I was like, hell yeah, man. You know, I had read any rumor mills or I don't know if there's going to be, if there was already confirmations of continuations and stuff. So I don't know how many people already knew that, that he wasn't like dead, dead. But when they were like, he's still alive. I was like, that better be him. When they were saying somebody, we got, we recovered someone and they're still alive. I was like, better be John, man. And it was. And I was like, hell yeah, dude. So, uh, yeah, I'll be excited I was hoping for the it was Rick Flag. Oh, you were? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for anybody that doesn't know, there is going to be a Peacemaker TV series on HBO Max. I think it comes out in early okay. 2022. It's already filmed. They're already done mm-hmm. filming it. Oh, okay. Yeah, like okay. It's, it's 10 episodes or 8 episodes. I think it might be 8. It's 8 or 10 episodes. And John Cena, or yeah, well, John Cena's back, of course. James Gunn helped write it. And directed like six of the episodes already. And nice. okay, cool. That's also why they had that set up with those two people at the end being the ones that are quote unquote straddled with him because or saddled with him because they're in that show too. Okay. Okay, cool. So this will be kind of a continuation of that. Okay, cool. Well, I'm glad I didn't know that because then it was kind of a surprise when he was still alive and I was like, Hell yeah, you well, did. We'll be back. So well, that was that, cool. Though, we didn't know if the 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 movie, or I mean, not the movie, the TV show, if it was a prequel or a sequel. You know what I mean? Oh, okay. So they hadn't really announced. No, okay. We so, just know there's a Peacemaker TV show. Oh, okay. that's all they've really announced about it. And yeah, we didn't know if it was a sequel. The I think what it ended up being is I think they actually planned for him to be dead, and. While they were filming this movie, James Gunn and John Cena were like, just somebody made a joke about like, man, what if we did a Peacemaker TV show? And they were like, then they just stopped and looked at each other like, well, what if we did do this? (laughs) Yeah. And then they did it like, and then they went back and filmed that post credit to be like, oh, well, we need to kind of have him be alive now at the end. So uh, (laughs) let's undo this real quick. And that could be how it went. And if so, that's delightful. Like that would be tight. That makes me more excited about that show because it feels like they just did it because they were like, "Oh, this is fucking fun," instead of it being like, "This is money," you know. Which also shout out to John Cena for doing the premiere and a lot of the press touring on like late night shows, and instead of being in a suit, he's actually just wearing the pe- the peacemaker costume. <laughs> right. 
Yeah, I saw that. I saw a clip of him on the show, and he was wearing it. And I was like, man, look at John, man. That's tight, man. I think he was on, That's like, tight. Jimmy Kimmel. And it's like Margot Robbie looking fabulous. And James Gunn. And then it's just John Cena in the Peacemaker costume. And then I know at the <laughs> premiere, he was 100% in it. And Margot Robbie told the story of, like, that as soon as they finished filming, he just, like, walked off the set in the costume. Just because nobody was going to say anything to him. Because he just was like, nope, I'm keeping the costume and just stole it. That's amazing. But, yeah, it just it, it just kind of works. And it's just so fun seeing him like that. So, but, yeah. It just kind of shows more of what they should have done with John Cena in Fast, uh, Fast 9. Or F9, or whatever the fuck that movie's called. Agreed. All right. Any more thoughts, Justin? Oh, that's it. All right. Just want to make sure. All right. Well, thank you for listening to this episode of the Simulslayers podcast. Check us out on the internet at www.cinemaslayers.com. Check us out on Facebook, where we're Cinemaslayers podcast. Uh, Twitter and Instagram, where we're Cinema underscore Slayers. Or TikTok, where we're Cinemaslayers pod, where I am on day 11 of watching a new movie every day, or not a new movie, watching a different movie every day for five months straight. I'm 11 days in. And it's weirdly a lot of work. I didn't realize this. It's weirdly work having to make sure I watch a different thing every day and record a one-minute video about it. That takes way more effort than I thought it would or that it sounds like it would. But also, it's very hard for me to watch a different movie every day. I typically watch something every day. It's not always different, though. I've watched, like... What is it? Pop star never stop stopping, or never gonna st- never gonna stop stopping, or whatever the fuck that movie's called. Never stop, never stopping. Yeah, that one. Mm-hmm. I've watched it like three times in a row in one night. Like I'll just like play it, and then be like, man, I won't watch that again, and just watch it again. And I have to watch something different, and I can't repeat myself in five months. That's so hard for little Sterling. Sterling will repeat <laughs> movies in a week. And I can't repeat them in five months. That's hard. Just saying. Well, if I do repeat a movie in the five months, I can't. I, it can't be in my the movie I do for that day. So if I do repeat a movie, I still have to watch something else to do a TikTok. Still, it's a lot of work. But check it out. I think I've done some fun stuff on that. I have talked about the Jungle Cruise on that. I have talked about this movie on there. I have talked about a movie that we're doing in a bonus episode this week on there. So I do sometimes give short little versions of my thoughts on these movies. I also give, you know, just random other movies. Like I did the movie blast from the past, which was a blast from the past. No pun intended. That is a good movie. I'm weirdly saving. Like I've, I like, I'm starting to think very like far forward with this. I'm like, Oh, there's some horror movies I want to do. And I'm like, no, I'm going to save them all for October. So during October, I know for a fact, I'm going to do the entire Chucky series, like all six or seven of those movies on during that. I'm just going to do a lot of horror movies in uh, October. I think I'm also going to do all the Jason movies. Um, I might even do all the Nightmare on Elm Street. I would do all the Puppet Masters, but weirdly enough, like Puppet Master 2 through like 8 are very hard to find. On not physical media, because I don't buy physical media movies anymore. 
I buy all digital downloads. But yeah, it's good. It's, it's it's challenging, but it is fun. So check that out. Um, also, give us a five star rating and review. That really helps out. We really appreciate it. Um, also, tell your family, tell your friends, tell your friends' family, tell your family's friends, and especially, you know what it is. Tell those dear sweet madres. Because you know they all went to Suicide Squad. And you know they all loved it. And you know they'd all love to hear us talk about it. Especially me. Because I've got the voice that mothers love. Scientifically proven. Don't ask for that proof. Just trust me. Scientifically proven that I have the the voice mothers love. And as always, just remember, according to Justin, Moon Knight is the Best Picture winner. No song again, Justin? No, I was on silent. Were you muted that whole time? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Man, I was going off. What what, what song did you sing? It was John Cena's theme. (laughs) That's even just funnier. It's like Justin's version of John Cena's You Can't Hear Me. Yep, you can't hear me. <laughs> Damn, can't, guys, my really bad. <laughs> man, I was halfway through that rap. Man, come on, man. I, I just love that through. I'm sitting here going, this is two episodes in a row Justin didn't sing at the end. And like, the, what and, is and, happening? And I was like, he really went two in a row. And that's why I asked. And then, yeah, you were just like, no. Oh, that's great. I was I was really going, and then I then you were like, Justin, uh, are you not going to say anything? And I was like, No, I didn't unmute. The world, or maybe while I was, or maybe I must have hit it. I might have hit it though when I was really getting (laughs) pulling the wrap up. (laughs) Damn it! Oh well. Well, you can't hear me. So just like John City can't see me, I guess you couldn't hear me, guys. So. Just know it was John Cena's rap and it was tight. There you go. Well, I'll take your word on that, Justin. Yes. I'm out.